influential leaders. It's Alexander and Lenka here, coming at you straight from the Netherlands. We are back home and we have for you yet another amazing episode of our Influential Executive Podcast. Today it's gonna be all about getting great results fast. And for those who think, well, it seems unreachable, yes it is. We will show you exactly how because we have a great guest today who is gonna show you exactly how to do it. He is a business speaker, coach and consultant. He loves cats, he loves his wife, he's traveled the world, worked across the industries, different worlds, I mean, the same roles, different countries, with lots of interesting people, and he is going to deliver lots of, lots of value. Yeah, he's a true delivery and leadership guru. So today's interview, it's a lot about leadership, how to make your team as productive as possible. Gordon, he developed a method and he's actually tested and proven this in huge uh, environments, big transformation projects, and he's found that up to 50 to 500% productivity increase was achieved by simply using his method. So that's some very, very powerful stuff that we're gonna touch upon in this interview. We're gonna learn how to get your entire team to sing for you. We're go- <laughs> yes, that's true. We have learned which one simple habit that you can apply with everybody you work with creates an environment of love and motivation. Remember what it is? No. The power of a good hug. <laughs> That's something I'm always remembering from Gordon. And finally, before we get started, the episode is of course sponsored by Earn More Work Less. We give superpowers to team leaders. How to achieve more with less time, less energy, less frustration, less stress. Just how to have fun. How to have fun, yeah. Doing what you love. And today's episode was so much about it. It's like. I said it in the interview that there is a lot of uh, common things between Alex and Gordon and you are going to discover what those things are just right now in this interview with Gordon Treadgold. This is my cat. Hey kitty! (laughs) Finally, finally, we are not the only ones who have walking kitty in front of the camera. Yeah, she she doesn't like to be ignored. <laughs> uh, especially around feeding time. Uh, yeah. Well, she's uh, she's nine, 19. Wow! Yeah, and she weighs about four kilos. She has a English, Dutch, Czech, German, and US passport. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine she has been traveling with you the whole time. Absolutely. And then we have another cat who's he's about seven kilos. Uh, he's an American gin uh, porter shell. Wow. He's outside now. He, he, uh, we got him in Miami and he's out in the snow. I don't think he realizes how cold it is compared to Florida. <laughs> but he yeah. looks, yeah, he's, he likes to cut out in the snow. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, our cats like to stay inside when it snows you know they go out they explore a little bit they feel that it's cold and wet two out of three immediately go back inside well there's the young one who likes to play around a bit yeah slightly. Well, the 19 year old she wants to go out she's, she's always wanting to go out but now she's 19 she kind of goes out and she goes oh no that's too cold <laughs> <laughs> and sits on the radiator <laughs> 
But what I love about living with cats is, well, first I didn't like it at all. Like I, they came with a package. <laughs> yeah. So when Lenka came to live with me, she was right there uh, in front of my door with her suitcases and two, cats. two boxes, <laughs> each with one cat inside. So I had to learn to live with cats. They, they have told me so much about myself and yeah. also about humans. Did you experience the same? It, it's interesting watching them. Yeah, they're very, uh, they're very different to dogs. <laughs> completely, completely different to dogs. I've actually trained our American cat. I throw it something, it goes and gets it and brings it back. <laughs> <laughs> but, but only if he wants to. Other times it's just like, you threw it, you go get it. <laughs> 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 they have completely different personalities one of them she um, she comes to you and she purrs like crazy because she wants you to stroke her the other one only purrs if you stroke him so it's kind of a you know uh, do the work and then then payment with her it's cash, in, cash up front and uh, she's <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Isn't it the same with uh, your team members? Like, <laughs> I have three children. And it's the same with well, four children, but it's the same with uh, my two my two daughters. One, she will do something, and because we used to we used to um, give them gold stars, and then whoever had the most got to pick where we would go on vacation. And one of them would just go and tidy her room, and she said, "Do I get a gold star?" "Yes, you do." And the other one would say. Do I get a gold star if I tidy my room? And if you said no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Smart girl. Smart girl. Very good strategy. <laughs> yeah, but, but it teaches you, you need to understand the different motivations of your team. The, the, one of the things we talk about is happy people are productive people. But some people are happy because they are productive. Others are productive because they're happy. And you need to know which which them are, and, and just start somewhere. Because once you get it going, it just keeps going round and round. But you've got to start. Make some people happy, make some people productive, and you need to know which is which. Otherwise, um, you're making people who are happy when they're productive. You're trying to make them happy, and it's like, yeah, but I'm not productive. This isn't working. <laughs> so, what do we do with those unhappy ones? Like. Well, we, we have to find a way to make them productive. We have to make... Are you recording? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, start, we started recording a, a little while ago, so everybody's going to know about your kids as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's cool. That's cool. I once did an interview, and we did about 20 minutes of great stuff, and then he said, oops, I'm not recording. So I was like, okay, well, we'll try that again. Yeah, so for, for people, why... when I um, so you've, I, I sent you my book Fast and Fast is a, a, an approach for delivering results but it's also a great way to get people engaged because we, people, people are happy I find when they, when they can be productive so if you get them productive uh, or you can show them how they will be productive then they're happy to go and do it. And others, you need to work with them and coach them and, and build in early wins and let them be successful. And then that gets them uh, happy as well. And then other people, yeah, you just, you just need to be, you know, make it fun. 
if the project's fun, if you can explain why, you know, uh, don't be a hard ass with people, you know, uh, you know, try and make it fun. I mean, I, as you can see, I'm quite, a, um, I'm not, a, I'm a, I'm very serious about what I do, but I'm not necessarily serious about the way I go about doing it. And that creates a, a good atmosphere and people feel relaxed. They feel like we're going to have a good time and now they want to go and do it. You don't want people stressed. Stress is not a, you, when you're under pressure, there's a certain type of stress that comes from a deadline that can sometimes be helped. But if people are stressed where it's not that kind of stress, where it's more anxiety, that's a performance killer. <laughs> we used to have to, and there's a really good book called Emotional Equations. Uh, and there it talks about that kind of stress and anxiety um, is down to two things in its um, powerlessness and uncertainty. So if we can give people certainty and we can give them the tools to do something, we've just killed anxiety. Because now they know what they need to do and they have the things to go and do it. And it's the same with, you know, we, I've worked on some companies where they've had to let people go. And they're going to make 10% of the staff go. And there's more, there's more anxiety waiting to find out if you're part of the 10% that will get let go than there is when you find out you are. And these are your three options. Because now you're in control. Now you can make a choice. You're no longer powerless. So we... We have to look to give people empowerment, clarity of what they're doing, create early successes, you know, get them happy and productive. And when you do that, it becomes a self a self fueling cycle. Because yeah. productive become happy, they become more productive. Boom, 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 boom. Those that are happy will now be productive, and then that production will make them happy. Boom, 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 boom. Off the year. It's uh, pretty simple. Gordon, I have a question because I've seen your TEDx talk and I was impressed by your French and I know how come that you speak French, but you originally come from England. Is it, uh, is it correct? I'm from Leeds in the north of England, Leeds United. <laughs> okay, so how did that happen? Like English speaking person speaking so good French and being even able to give a whole presentation. Um, so... 20 years ago, I was working in Belgium and I, fe um, I met and fell in love with a beautiful Belgian woman. And she didn't speak English and I didn't, I spoke a bit of French. Um, I did it in school, but then I worked down in France on, as a student on the Spanish border, which just completely uh, turned my educated French into kind of farmer peasant French, which wasn't good. So yeah, just 20 years of living together and speaking French at home. And then I signed up for the TEDx and I thought, okay, this will be good. And then um, as we moved towards it, uh, the, the approach I took, I thought, okay, I'll write it in English and then I'll translate it into French because I want to be clear about what I'm going to say. And I translated it. And then my wife said to me, uh, you can't say that. And I said, why not? It's French. She said, no, it's not. And I said, I say that all the time. And she said, yeah, I find that cute. <laughs> it's not French. <laughs> 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 
That, that's so funny because Alexander tells me the same when I speak Dutch. And then out of blue, someone tells me like, that, like, that doesn't exist. I'm like, Sander, why you have never told me? I just found you so cute. <laughs> so, I, so as I got closer to it, what I realized was that I'm comfortable in a French-speaking environment and I don't, I, and I don't mind. I, I'm very, very confident. But being confident and being correct are not the same thing. <laughs> so I had to go out and learn it. Um, you put, get the French right and it took quite a while because my, my writing and speaking style is quite... Um, my goal is to make it accessible. I want people to read and listen to me and I want them to think, wow, I must be really smart because I understood what he said, not wow, he must be smart because... I've no clue what that was about. <laughs> and, and to try and do that in French requires it to get the, uh, and for it not to come across as a childlike. Yeah. It's quite to get that the right, the, the right word. And my wife did a lot of work with me on making sure, and then we would change things and say it slightly differently. And then I had to do something which I never do, and that is I had to learn the talk. Because when I speak in English, I know my subject, so you know I can talk about it. I know what I'm going to say, and I, I have no problem in just thinking, "Oh, yeah, I saw on the TV today with Brexit or football or something, and that's a really good example." Blah blah blah. Give that as an example, and then come back and carry on. But I can't do that in French because the perfect French was written on the paper, and what I would say. Yeah, the, yeah it might not be perfect so i had to learn it by heart and uh in the two re in the two re dress rehearsals i only got a third the way through and i had to stop and say you know what i'm done <laughs> i can't go any further <laughs> so i had to go away and just spend you know uh, eight nine hours just reading it and reading it drilling it and drilling it wow. until it was absolutely perfect and and you and you saw the talk and one of the things I talk about in the talk is persistence is a talent multiplier. So my repetition and persistence <laughs> with it is what made it come across as really, uh, uh, really smooth. So it, the French I speak on that is probably better than the French I speak. But, you know, I, I've been speaking for 20 years and I'm, I'm comfortable. If I was off the job in France, I would go do it, no problem. But... My, uh, my language might be a little bit uh, incorrect. I have applied to do a TEDx in German. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Now is your German? Um, um, <laughs> 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 English, French, German, Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> but persistence. persistence. Ah, so it's ten times better than Dutch. Yeah, well, the the thing about Dutch is that you can read it, but I, I think unless you're Dutch, some of the words you've got no chance of. Uh, I, I decided when I lived in Holland, I was only ever going to wear boots because I couldn't say schoon. 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 I can't say that, so I just wear boots. <laughs> <laughs> A whole year long. <laughs>
Yeah, so we lived in Holland for three years and we tried to learn it, but people would just go, ha, 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 and then replied in English. And one time I was at Rotterdam Station and the lady was, good afternoon, sir, it's beautiful weather, where would you like to go? And I said, Schiphol. And she answered in English and I thought, I can't even say one word. <laughs> <laughs> Dutch people are so helpful, you know, yeah. they're, they're always ready to just help you in English. Yeah. And even when you just want to practice Dutch, <laughs> there's no <laughs> way because the other person will switch. Yeah, yeah it's um, so the, the pronunciation. So German, whether you can speak it or not, you could read it and the pronunciation wouldn't be far off. With Dutch, hell no. That's, <laughs> not, the, that's not the same at all. I mean, my wife speaks Flemish. Yeah, but yeah, but she, but you know, French, English, and Flemish is about as good as my German. So um, when we lived in Holland, she she spoke it a lot and spoke with the neighbours, but more practice needed. Comes <laughs> and helpful, Gordon. For the, for the people who have no idea who you are, can you sum up how come did you travel so much, and why do you actually travel? What what is it that you do? So I, I traveled a lot um, because I worked in IT. Um, I worked as a, a program and project manager and uh, focusing on, excuse me, operational uh, transformation, driving large programs. So I, I worked in the um, uh, port of Rotterdam. I helped implement a new system for the automation of the container flows there. And then I worked in Prague uh, for DHL managing a large hundred million program and then DHL moved me to the US where I did a an organizational change um, changing the culture from in-house to more service oriented where we had to be better at uh, reviewing reviewing the work that was requested to us and then putting competitive bits. we had to compete for the work that we'd previously got for free and that is a huge huge culture shift uh, and partly the challenge with that is i didn't sign up for that was a lot of the feedback i got from people you know we didn't sign up to be consultants we signed up to work for dhl and now we're consultants so they didn't want to go through the change so i had to help drive that change and work on changing the people and then i i worked for a company called henkel where i was global head of it service delivery uh, serving 48,000 end users, team of a thousand people, <clears throat> uh, and managing everything: data centers, projects, programs, um, help desk, networks, uh, and, and there we did a, a, again another operational performance and uh, cost management program where I helped save the company 350 million, um, and we over seven years, and we improved performance by 50 to 500 percent. So that's kind of like my operational background a lot of it was it i know quite a bit about it but it was more driving those programs driving the culture changes so i'm not a, a technology guru i'm a delivery and leadership guru and then when i was in germany um, as that work kind of came to an end and we'd done the bulk of it i, I found that I, instead of working 14 hour days i was like doing nine hour days and they were quite easy because everything was running smoothly. So I started writing um, on leadership. I made the decision to share the 
the approach that I was doing, just trying to close those things down, um, the, uh, you know, was there a, a way that the things I was doing, I could teach it to other people? Uh, and my background is in mathematics. Uh, and because I worked in programs, I'm good at pattern recognition. So I was able to look at what I did and then could I systematize it and then teach people how to do it. And that's how I came up with the book Fast. That's how I came up with the talk for TEDx, um, how to, my little secrets for your big success. So aim high, start small, celebrate, keep going. And it's a, it's a process. And when you teach people processes that they can remember them and they believe in, they're more likely to, to follow them. So that's what I've been doing. And now I speak, coach, and, and write on that. Wow. I love it. And I'm, I'm very impressed and confused. Because, <laughs> like, I do see lots of similarities um, with Alexander. Already when I was, like, going through the website, I'm like, hmm, strange. Leadership, what he is good in, like, mathematics, analytics. And that's something that we often don't see in people, that they have, that they have these soft people skills. And then I went all the way, I think, down to the page. It's like, and my wife had a great impact on my leadership style. I'm like, ah, oh, that's where it comes from. <laughs> <laughs> well, she did. Uh, I'm not back backtracking from that. She did. I was a good leader before, but that, but that was more to do with problem solving, my uh, assertiveness, my willingness to lead from the front, and that's that's great up to a point. And there's a great, really good book about Star Trek leadership. Uh, and that's kind of like the Captain Kirk style of leadership. You're the hero, you get in, you lead from the front, but that you are limited to what you can do. And you have to make that transition from Captain Kirk to Captain Picard, who has a team of experts and he brings them together, they design the plan, and then he delegates the work to them. So on that transition, it was that that my wife really helped me with, um, helping me to build more trust with people, be more open. Because I used to be, um, I, used to, I used to like to have fun and um, you know create a great environment. But she she actually taught me to love the teams I was leading, and it, yeah, and and when you care about the people that you you're leading. The, the feedback and response from them is phenomenal. And she kind of showed me that and then encouraged me to go and do that. And it's, you know, when, you, when you've been like alpha male to try and then go back to doing it from a, a position of love, that's, that's a transition. Yeah. And you need support and help with that. And I'll, I'll give you a, <clears throat> this is my, um, my, best professional moment. I, I did a conference where um, we were, we'd, we'd been going through this transition and we were doing work with uh, AT&T on the telecom side, a big outsourcing. And there was a lot of conflict between the internal teams and the, the supplier. We were doing new help desks with Unisys uh, out of Holland. And there was a lot of conflict between the teams there. We were doing outsourcing uh, and offshoring of the IT to Accenture, and there was conflict between people who didn't want to give the work over. And then we had IBM doing the data centers, and the the techie the programmers were 
arguing with the data centers and we were moving it forward we were making success but it was a it was quite a stressful environment and we were also fighting with the business because they weren't happy with some of the disruption and i ran a conference and i thought i need people to be more collaborative and cooperative so i set up the agenda for the strategy conference where started with a big dinner you know celebrate the success gonna talk talk about where we've been the last year, the challenges, um, the progress we've made, and then two days looking forward. And I, I had two coaches that came in to um, uh, facilitate that. And when I got there, I had two, uh, and the team was 70 people, 50 Germans, 20 non-Germans. And um, the first person I saw was a friend of mine called Ricardo Martinez from Mexico. And <laughs> saw me and he came running up to me and he gave me a big hug hey how are you doing and I thought wow when you've hugged people it is a completely different relationship it, if you don't feel you can ask me for something after we've hugged each other then that there's a problem there and it's difficult to fight if we're hugging each other so I thought okay I'm gonna, I'm gonna, in a non-sexual or uh, HR problematic way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hook people and, and try to make a, con a connection. And if they've done that with me, then hopefully they might start to do that with each other. And over the course of a day and a half, um, people were, you know, they, they were kind of like, especially the Germans, like, what are you doing? Germans don't hug. And I said, wow. So where do all the babies come from? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There has to be some hugging that's going on somewhere. And, and, and then people started to do it. And then on the, the uh, start of the afternoon session on the second day, I had to do a keynote for, okay, this is our go forward. Uh, and before I would, uh, when I got up to speak to them, I had about a 20-minute talk. And before I got to speak to them, they said to me, we don't want you to talk. I was like, okay, well, this is the next thing on the agenda. And the 70 people said, we want to sing a song for you. Okay. Uh, so I'm stood there, and they all went, and they got the, the lighter app on the iPhone and put some music on. And I had 70 people singing, Can You Feel the Love Tonight from Lion King. Wow. This is wow. beautiful. Yeah, in terms of feedback, you know nothing is i mean you know, and i'm I, now i'm trying to talk you know i've got a lump in my throat and something in my eye <laughs> but after the, over the three days we completely um re reprogrammed the relationship so there was there was collaboration but it was tough uh, and people reacted to that by be, by becoming um uh, conflicting Mm -hmm. But by turning that on its head and hugging people, and uh, at the end of the conference, uh, you know, when I had to close it, I said, you know, you're probably thinking I'm going to come and hug you, but I'm not. I'm just going to put some music on. And if anybody wants to hug each other, then... And we had f about 30 minutes of people just hugging each other, thanking them, and if you need my help, da-da-da-da-da. And it was awesome, except my German Pierre, because we were in a hotel, she ran round and she closed all of the curtains and I said what are you doing she said I don't want anybody to think we are a religious sect 
because if they do, they will never let us book a hotel. <laughs> Smart girl. <laughs> so, but that, but that style of it, it just, it just created a much stronger connection, much more trust between uh, the the team. Trusted me from a a technical capability, a leadership capability, but we just took the relationship to a, a completely different level. And, you know, I, uh, I, I used to get messages on Facebook about issues that were coming up from people that were two, two and three levels down in the organization because they knew I was open. They knew that we weren't going to criticize. We are looking to make it better. We're not looking to, I'm looking to grow all of the people in the organization. There is no blame. There is no criticism unless you wait until it's too late for us to help you. Then I, I can't say I'm going to be as polite because you're stopping me from doing my job. But, you know, that approach, it, it, that's what allowed us to really make the change from um, being a good team that delivered good results to being a great team that delivered amazing results. and they actually started leading themselves. And, you know, and I just sat back and they would come to me and say, we want to fix this, what do you think? Go do it. Good job, well done. And, and that became my role, just to you know, steer the boat a little bit and, and just constantly give uh, positive feedback for the great results. People loved working for us, they were productive and they were happy being productive. I just love it. I love especially the part where you said they started to lead themselves. Mm-hmm. And what I want to highlight this is because it was a year ago when we traveled for coaching. We were coached by uh, American coaches. And we said, you know, what we do as a business, we help people to manage to lead themselves because we believe that having the responsibility to um, be your own manager, be your own leader oh. is, is essential for your own happiness and fulfillment. And I said, you know, no, that, that's not going to work out. So I'm so happy that a person like you who has tremendous success and has turned around so many businesses that you say, yeah, it is possible. And actually, it's not that technical. You just really help people to love themselves and love each other and cooperate as one team. Yeah, and, and, if you can, and if you can make them successful, nobody wants to come to work and go home thinking I did a bad job. Yeah. Everybody wants to play for the champion, the championship winning team. Nobody wants to play for the team who finishes bottom of the league. That we all want to have success. You know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, after the basic needs of food, shelter, safety, we want recognition. We yeah. want a feeling of self-esteem. So we have to feed that in our people. And the way we do that is through, you know. Uh, finding ways for them to be successful. And even if you don't give recognition, they know they've been successful themselves and yeah. they'll feel it. Even if you don't say, good job, well done, they know whether they've done a good job or a bad job. And if they're doing a bad job with no support, this is when they disengage. But if you, if you let them do a good job and they feel that sense of self-esteem, and then on top, you say, good job, well done. Now, you, 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 I mean, you, 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 you're playing with rocket fuel. The people will do. People, I, I had a team of a thousand people, and people will come and ask me, "Are there any places in your organisation I'd love to come and work for you?" Because we were creating an environment 
where they could be successful. And I've read loads of leadership books about you need to do this, you need to do that. And I think that's just BS. That's, <laughs> that's management, that's control. You know, we, we should be letting people free. That we, we need to make sure, and, and part of the challenge, the reason why I need to control is because I haven't been crystal clear about what I want you to do. So mm -hmm. I need to keep watching it to make sure as you're doing it, is it what I really want it? But if you are crystal clear in the direction you set, and then you ask them, do you understand what needs to be done? Do you have all of the tools that you need to be successful? When they say yes, they've accepted accountability and then just let them go. Yeah. Just let them go. And people will do amazing work. Amazing. Yeah. No, nobody comes to the office wanting to do a bad job. Everybody wants to do a great yeah. job. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we, and as the leaders, one of the things I talk about, um, you know, if you want people, if you want to build a culture of accountability, one, you've got to be accountable. And second, you cannot make anybody accountable. You can make them responsible, but accountability is something that we accept. Mm -hmm. The way to do that is to ask them, do you have everything you need to be successful? And when they say yes, they have mentally taken accountability because they've told you, I can do this. I have everything I need. And a lot of leaders say to me, yeah, but what if they say no? Well, it's your job to give them it. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you give people work that they cannot do, then when they fail, it's your fault. <laughs> you know, you, you can't give somebody a pig's ear. You know, that's the expression. You can't make a silk purse out of a pig's ear. And if you give somebody a pig's ear and you expect a silk purse, you are the one that is wrong. Not the person who can't do what cannot be done. The yeah. person who requested it. And a lot of time, leaders they just want to issue commands and they don't care whether you've got the tools. And this is what creates disengagement. But when you, when you give people clarity of what's needed and check that they've got the tools and they know they're going to get recognition or something in return, they become engaged, they become empowered, they become excited and they deliver amazing results. Leadership is easy. A lot of people make it way too hard. <laughs> That's what I love about systems thinking. Like you, you, you think in clear steps. Yeah. And because of that, you're able to give clear instructions, clear answers. And that's something that I've remarked with Alex. Like when we coach together or when we go to friends together, they love to talk to me about all kinds of emotional things. But when they want to get a clear answer, it's like, okay, can I talk to Alex? Alex is a master in explaining the most difficult theories and he breaks them in such pieces that it's very simple. And I just talk around, around, around and trying to learn it uh, to be clear. But I really see so much value in that and being really clear, crystal clear. Yeah, we, 
you know, Einstein's quote, if you, if you can't explain it to an eight-year-old, you don't understand it. So, we, so I try to explain things at an eight-year-old level, which is why the language can sometimes, when you do it in a different language, come across as a little bit childish. But yeah. it's difficult to do. It's very easy to explain things in a complicated way, especially if you're not 100% certain. But yeah. when you do that, how does that empower somebody? How does that enable people? Uh, and one of the things that I talk about a lot is um, uh, empowerment. And, you know, wh what, does, what do we need for empowerment? Do we need more guidance or less guidance? And a lot of people tell me, you need less guidance. I was like, you're absolutely right. Here's my credit card. Go buy me a car. What? Here's my credit card. Go buy me a car. What kind of car do you want? Oh, you want more guidance. <laughs> well, yeah. If I don't know what kind of car you want, I don't know what to buy you. So when we're looking to empower people, we have to create a framework. Here's my credit card. Don't spend more than 30000 I want a dark-colored SUV, preferably German. <laughs> more than 30,000 kilometers. Now... You, you know what success looks like. You can go and make an attempt. Whereas if it's just buy a car, it's like, does he want a Ferrari? Does he want a camper van? Uh, I don't know. So as leaders, we have to be clear. Or, or if we can't be clear, give a framework of where the answer could, you know, if anything in this area is a good answer. And then let them go do it. And if you give that framework and they come back with an answer that fits in that, and you don't like it, that's your fault, because you're not clear enough. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, my wife, what do you want for tea? Whatever you want. And then the next thing, I've got matches. I'm like, I don't like matches. <laughs> yeah, but you said anything. Yeah, I did. I guess I have to eat these now. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the word uh, empower is one of the three words that are on your banner on your website together yeah. with engage and excite. So what do those other two words mean to you? So engagement is about getting people's buying and you can only, you know, so if I, I've never said this before, it just popped in. So engagement is when you think about a car, the car has to engage the wheels to the engine and we do that by getting it into the right gear and you have to give clarity to your teams because if it doesn't it's like trying to drive your car in neutral you can push the gas as much as you want you're not going to go anywhere and if you've got it in the wrong gear there'll be a lot of uh, great and so engagement is about getting your team bought in giving them clarity of what's needed explaining to them why it's important and when you can do that they become engaged and if you can tie it to benefits for them and i worked on a project for dhl one time and we had a, an on-time delivery project that we had to do which was about um getting the uh banded appointment so you know we come in the morning or we come in the afternoon and getting that right and when we started that project everyone was like another bloody it project this is going to be dull and the program business program director came in and he said um, do you know why we're doing this project yeah more profit <laughs> no 
Okay. Uh, more revenue? Nope. Customer satisfaction? Kind of. Like, okay, we don't know what it, why this project is important. And he said, spoiler alert, he said, there is no Santa Claus. And it's our job to make sure that Christmas presents turn up on Christmas Day. It's our job to make sure that birthday presents turn up from aunts, uncles, grandparents, parents that are working away, turn up on their birthday. It's our job to make sure that medication that can help people doesn't get lost, doesn't arrive two weeks later, but it arrives when it's needed. Can you imagine the engagement of people on that project now? We saw it as not a business project to make money, but as a way that we could help people by making sure they got what they wanted when they needed it. And that project is one of the few projects I've seen where people volunteered to work where uh, evenings, weekends, and we delivered it ahead of schedule. Because people could see a level of importance that they rec that resonated with themselves. Yeah. And that really was um, engagement. Then in excitement comes from um, helping people be successful. Uh, one of the things I always say is people are not afraid of hard work, they're afraid of failure. And if, if you're going to fail and you can see that, why would you work hard? Because you can fail by taking it easy. Mm -hmm. Or you can fail by working like crazy. If I'm going to fail, I'm going to take it easy. <laughs> There's no point breaking a sweat failing. Yeah. So what we have to do is we have to show people how they can be successful. So I, I, I coached a client on writing a book. She'd, been, she'd spent two years trying to write a book and she'd done 10,000 words, but she was nowhere near finished. And I said to her, okay, we had a, a two-hour coaching session. I said to her, so how big is your book? Said, I don't know. I said, well, how are you going to know when you're finished? Then? So, I, I sh <laughs> um, so I showed her, this is a 20,000-word book, 40,000, 60,000. She said, okay, I like the 40,000-word book. I was like, okay, this is good. How many chapters? And she said, well, it's about winning at life. There are eight areas. And I said, okay, so 10 chapters introduction, each of the eight areas, plus the conclusion and summary, each chapter's 4,000 words, 40,000, 10 chapters. And I said, you know, within an hour, it's easy to write a 1,000 words. And she was like, really? And I said, yeah. So if you write a 1,000 words a day in 40 days, you're done. And she was like, Oh my God, you're right. I have to go right now. And I never saw her again. I didn't do any more coaching. She would just send me an email saying, I've done 15,000 words. I've done 20,000 words. I'm at 25,000. And she got to 14,000. And one of the other things I told her, she said, I don't know how to edit or do the graphics. And I said, not your job. That's for a graphic artist and an editor. Yeah. yeah. You write it and you hand it over to them and they'll do it. And as I said, she became excited because she could now see how she was getting from where she was to completed them. And this is how we excite people. Mm. Show them the path to success. When they can see that, 
and it's something they want to do, boom, off they go. You don't need to worry about motivating people if you can inspire them and excite them. Uh, again, it's a lot about clarity. Yeah. And breaking into the small steps, and that's what you're also saying, right? Start small, aim high, start small, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, on the talk when uh, when people when I when people find out I did twelve hundred leadership articles, how did you do that? One a day for twelve hundred days. Yeah. I didn't write twelve hundred in one day. That's that's impossible. So we need to know. We need to understand. Some things have a natural rhythm to it. It's like if you want to have a child. It takes minimum nine months. If you plan for six, if you get two women, it doesn't happen in four and a half months. It's nine months. So we need to know. Could be good fun, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> My wife was like, "No, no." <laughs> um, we need we need to we need to understand because if we if we try to do it in four and a half months, we set ourselves up for failure. And as we start going through, you know, and, and deep down we'll know this is not going to work and we're not going to put the effort in. But if you know that the plan is possible, then this is when we start to get excited and we'll remain, um, we become inspired. That's what gets us started. And then motivation is just a positive feedback as they pass the, you know, I've done 10,000 words, I've done 20,000. Yeah, good job, keep going. But a lot of people start with motivation. And it, you know you can you can applaud as much as you want, but I'm still not climbing Mount Everest because I can't see how I get from here. You can have a you can have cheerleaders cheering me. If I don't know how I'm going to do it, I, I'm not moving. It's so. This is what we need to do. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I I want to be uh, careful with the time. I want to be respectful of your schedule. So we need to think of, I definitely want to know more about your book fast. Uh, Lenka, you can ask questions. I ask most of my questions. Like I was mostly interested in your wife because we know that behind every single amazing man, there is amazing, beautiful, very intelligent, smart and caring woman. So. Yeah, drive to Dusseldorf, come for dinner. <laughs> She's a fantastic cook. Oh, <laughs> lucky man. <laughs> you speak a lot about consistency and success habits. You know, just in a steady rhythm, like yeah. writing thousand words a day, etc. Now, for all the leaders watching this and listening to this, uh, many people in our audience are team leaders. So the managers who actually have to glue everything together. Yeah. What are some of the success habits that you've seen in every Highly successful leader. So, so for me, I come back to my book fast. The people fail when, they, when they're not focused. They don't know what success looks like. They don't have the right accountability. They're not setting the tone or making sure people are clear about what they have to do and have the tools. There's a lack of uh, simplicity. We overcomplicate things. And then a lack of transparency. And that transparency is two things. One, it's about knowing it takes nine months to have a baby and not committing to the impossible. And then checking your progress along. And I'm a big fan of, um, you know, break something down into 10% chunks and then, you know, whatever your goal is, after 10% of the time, where should you be? You should know that. Uh, after 20%, 30%, fortune, and then track progress. 
Too many people track tasks. Now, if I go on a diet, you can, if you were tracking my tasks, you would say, did you eat salad today? Yes, I did. Did you eat salad today? Yes, I did. And we track all that off. And then it gets to the end of the diet and you say, you haven't lost any weight. Yeah, I haven't ever. And what we should be doing is not asking, have you eaten salad? But, you know, you're going to lose 10 kilos in 10 months. Did you lose one kilo this month? Have you lost two kilos? Have you, the, whether you did the activity or not is interesting, but did you deliver the output? Because if you don't get the output, then I can ask, did you do the activity? Mm. Uh, okay, now I know why you haven't got the results. So we've got, we've got to be output outcome focused, know what the result is and track that. So keep focused have clarity around what the goal is make sure it's communicated be accountable um get your teams to be accountable give them what they need and then ask them to confirm it on projects that fail the research shows 75 percent of the time people knew it was going to be a failure day one <laughs> oh man i i love the business world so much you know, this is <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant. So ask them that and then keep it simple. Ask them if they know how they're going to be successful and then uh, track the performance. Coming back to the business world, do you know what the number one reason why um, tech startup firms fail? And it impacts 42%. So 95% of tech startup firms fail and 42% of them fail for exactly the same reason. Hmm. What is it? So this is very, very difficult to understand. There is no market need for the product they are creating. Yeah. 42%. Wow. 42%. Now that's an easy fix. I'm going to build a chocolate television. Would anybody want one of these? And if if the silence is deafening, don't build it. Go and do some market research. You know, if, it's, if you're not solving a problem, then it, it's optional. Uh, do some market research. Yet 42% of tech startups fail because they're creating something nobody wants or needs. That is an easy problem to avoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so all of the things that you said, they resonate, right? Uh, you need to be fast so that means focused you need to have clear accountability agreed it needs to be simple and transparent okay i get that um suppose i'm a leader and i have a full email box each day and a full agenda with meetings and i have children at home so like what can i actually schedule into my rhythm so that i create the space both in my calendar and in my mind to work on these things so that all comes down to focus. What's the goal and objective? And if you've got a thousand emails in your inbox, how many of them move you towards your goal? Any that don't move you towards your goal, you shouldn't be reading them. De- delete them. Delegate them. Any meeting you're going to that doesn't add value to you or to the people where you're attending you shouldn't be going to that meeting. And if you hold a meeting 
and sincerely. Um, leaders, when you hold a meeting, ask your team if they got any value out of it. And if they say no, <laughs> cancel that meeting or change the agenda. I, I've sat in too many meetings where um, they just decided that you know we need a meeting and nothing happened. And it was a waste of my time. I was once in a, an all-day meeting and at the end of the meeting, my boss said, oh, by the way, I want that report that I asked you for you this morning. So I've been sat in a meeting that added zero value to either of us. If I wasn't in that meeting, I could have gone and done that report. Now, I have to do it in the evening. So focus, know what you need to do, and then know what are the things that contribute to delivering those outcomes. Uh, and, and that was one of the things when, when I took over the team and we had to save... Uh, 50 million a year, 350 over seven. I told them there's only two goals, lower cost, higher performance. And we're going to improve performance in on-time delivery and system availability. Those are the three things, less money, on-time delivery, uh, system availability. Anything that doesn't lead towards those three things, it's not mandatory. And if I ask you to do something, that doesn't lead to one of those three, point it out to me. So we, we, we get caught up in being busy and not productive. We get caught up in urgent and not important. One of the things that we need to do as leaders is that quite often people will tell me, I have to put fires out all day long. <laughs> yeah, I get that. But you should also be spending some time preventing fires from happening. If you don't stop them from happening, you are going to be constantly putting fires out. It's never going to get any better. And you know, so delegate, find that time to put, you know, stop fires from happening, and it will uh, slow down. But the, the challenge is that it requires the leader to have that mindset. And if your boss doesn't have that mindset, they'll just keep you chasing your tail forever. And if you're a leader, then it's your job to get your team to be productive. And they're productive by putting their effort into the things that are gonna move the needle forward. Simple as that. It's nice. <laughs> I, I, I heard a nice, uh, nice quote there. As a leader, it is your job to make your team productive. Yeah, absolutely. What was that? And then celebrate them for being productive. <laughs> and make them hug. <laughs> I, got in, I got into trouble by the uh, after we did that event um, they put a note on my door free hugs inside and I'm a senior vice president in this big German company and I would be in meetings and people would knock on the door and come and ask for hugs and then I had my performance evaluation two days later and I, I, I was reported by the workers council and told if I hugged any more people I was fired <laughs> <laughs> That was just from somebody who didn't like that open leadership style. They wanted me to be command and control. Yeah. You know, if you, if you do that and it's successful, then maybe we'll have to do that and we don't want to do that. We just want to issue orders and just get them followed. But it's not how it works. And especially now with millennials coming through with all of the social media and increased contact, that tolerance for command and control is... It's history. 
Yeah. And it never worked anyway. <laughs> yeah, my wife, that's fear-based leadership, not love-based leadership. <laughs> I love it. And you know what, what's the funny part? I remember we lived in Belgium and I come from Czech Republic, uh, very different cultures. And I remember I being in the office and people coming, giving me kisses. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Where does it come from? My wife worked in England for Xerox and uh, she worked on a help desk of French people. They would get there at nine. They didn't start work till 9.15 because everybody was kissing everybody. Yeah. <laughs> But I worked in I worked in Prague. I did uh, forty hours of Czech lessons. So dva pivo, smezlina. There's a very nice uh, ice cream place on Paritska in Prague. Yeah. No, that's not on gelato. It is on gelato. It's gelato in on Paritska. Yeah. Yeah, it is on gelato. I think it's Paritska. Oh, it's just at the beginning of Pajiska. Angelato, we love, we were even in touch with the owners. It's just like delicious, homemade. Yes. Yeah. So. We live on uh, Havelska, which is the outdoor market uh, between um, yeah. Old Town Square and Wenceslas. Yeah. Fifth floor, 15 months, 15, months or 15 <laughs> years. Fifth, sixth floor duplex with the view of the castle and uh, St. Catherine's, uh, the Gothic church in the Old Town Square. Can be, I don't know the name of the church. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful church. No, no, I don't think so. But yeah, we lived there for 15 months. So working with Czech culture, that was interesting. <laughs> well, if, if, I went with some very, very, very bright people, but I don't, they, they said it was, they, they told me it was partly of, because of the communist regime that a lot of them had been brought up. They were brilliant at going in a straight line, yeah. but if they hit a rock, they would just keep going. <laughs> uh, moving, going round was... Um, we don't like changes, no. No. <laughs> and I'm just going to keep moving and that rock, I, if that rock doesn't move, I stay here. But what was interesting, we had some some of the best managers were Czech, yeah. but they'd been and lived abroad for two years and then came back. Yeah. Uh, and the, they were able to adapt the culture much easier than we were because we were foreigners. Yeah. Uh, so we couldn't really do it in the language. And that was strange. DHL, so we were out in um, Hodoff and... Um, they, they wanted everybody to speak English. So you would have a meeting with 11 Czech people and they had to have the meeting in English. And there's not a single non-Czech person. And I'm like, well, who's helping them speak better? And how is that productive? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, brings back uh, good memories. You know, I, I used to travel to Godov. It was four, four yeah, years and years. 30 months uh, working for Accenture there. Oh, well, we, we, we worked with Accenture. I, I had uh, Accenture worked on the project. Jim, Jim Howe was my program director. And we had a lot of people come from... My goal, my job was to cut the Accenture people by half. That was the direction from my boss. And we were paying 1500 euros a day bringing them in from germany so we got them from czech republic they were like 300 euros a day and the, the number doubled 
but the price dropped to half. Yeah. <laughs> and my boss was, I told you to get rid of them. I said, well, I've got twice as many for half as much. Yeah. And he was like, well, I don't like them. <laughs> that sounds like a good deal. <laughs> I think we were in the building next door to yeah. work Central one in Hodoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I worked, it was sad, sad to hear that the CEO died yesterday. Did you hear that? Yeah, I heard about no, I it. Didn't. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Died yesterday or the day before. Um, I know it was, he, when it comes to leadership, a lot of people that I know in Accenture, they loved him. They said he was very, very uh, inspirational and very sad to, um, to hear he was leaving very for rumors. And um, yeah, sad that he passed. Yeah, <laughs> that's life. Well, um, to end on a, on, a, <laughs> on a positive note for all of those, excited people who want to learn more about what you do who want to buy your book who want to read more of, of what you are doing where they can find you so i'm a big fan of simplicity <laughs> they can uh, they can follow my website gordontreadgold.com they can follow me on facebook gordon treadgold they can follow me on twitter Gordon Treadgold, or if they want to buy a book, they can um, go to Amazon and then just put in Gordon Treadgold. <laughs> <laughs> I am Gordon Treadgold in the entire world. Unbelievable, but true. Wow. That is, uh, that is very, very useful. And simple. And uh, yeah, I, by the way, I checked. We have also a big audience in the Netherlands and in Belgium. Your book is also on bold.com. On? Bol.com. <laughs> Bol.com is like the, the the Dutch Amazon. Yeah, and for all the people in Belgium, my uh, TED talk is in French. If you want to go and have a look at it on uh, again on YouTube, just put Gordon Treadgold. <laughs> <laughs> Gordon Treadgold, the man of simplicity. <laughs> if you don't speak French. I, I added subtitles at the weekend. <laughs> oh nice that's cool and for those who are excited to hear more uh, in german it's gonna be coming probably next year in a year <laughs> i replied i haven't heard back yet uh, and that does worry me a little bit <laughs> i'm kind of hoping they say no and i guess <laughs> i tried <laughs> persistency we, we we've learned that it works i mean you ran a marathon um wow Six. Wow, six marathons. That's called persistency. Eleven. Oh, eleven. 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 I did four in t in, in ten weeks. What? Well, you saw the video. The world record is six is um, six hundred and seven marathons in six hundred and seven days. So four in ten weeks. That's not a lot of effort, really. Marathon, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Fair point. Yeah, fair point. And especially looking at the fact that you started by running 15 minutes a day, which makes it very, very uh, achievable for people who would ever consider uh, starting it or uh, liking it. I tried it several times. I never made it further than, uh, like, uh, I don't know, day 15, I would say. <laughs> I can tell you how to run further. Run slower. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, where it comes uh, down to. <laughs> this one, like, she sprints, and by the end of the street, she's out of breath. And she's yeah. like, <laughs> <I'm done."> 
there's a, one of the things that I learned, which I, I, I find it hard to believe, there's a technique called Galloway, where um, you run for three minutes and walk for yeah. a minute. And I actually went faster walking for 25% of the time because <laughs> it allows you to save energy and just keep yeah. going and you, you, you regale and you go again, you recoup and you go again. Galloway, excellent methodology. I, I, will be, I will be running the Dusseldorf Marathon in April as well. Wow. Agenda. Man, very, that's awesome. Very cool. Very good. Have you done Luxembourg already? No, I've done, um, I did, I've done five in Florida. I've done uh, Cologne, Dusseldorf. I did York uh, last October, Vancouver. And then the best one I did, uh, which is, I have an interesting story on transparency if we've got the time. Um, I did um, Athens. And you start in Marathon and you run. Alex, they did as well. I was there, 5 a.m., you know, go to Marathon. And it's uphill for what, from yeah. kilometers to kilometer 26. So I wanted to run in under five hours. I'd never done that. I'd done it five on two, five, ten. And uh, because it's uphill, I knew that running a five-hour marathon wasn't going to be enough. I had to be doing faster than that in training. <clears throat> so that when I got to the top of the hill, and then it's, it's downhill all the way, the last uh, six kilometers, I think. And so I knew where I needed to be. I had the transparency. I needed to be at this point after an hour, this point, this point. And I got to the top of the hill, and I was about a minute behind schedule. But now I'm coming downhill, six kilometers. Within a kilometer, I'm ahead of schedule. Another uh, two kilometers, I'm about 10 minutes, 15 minutes ahead of schedule. I've got, um, I think I had three kilometers to do and 45 minutes. So, and I'm, I'm running 12 minute kilometers because I'm a bit tired, but I've got 45 minutes. And then I'm doing the Galloway, walk for a minute, run for three minutes, walk for a minute, run for three minutes. And I had all of the transparency into performance. And then the battery, on my iPhone died. <laughs> so now I'm running blind. I'm, I'm walking for 60 seconds, but you know, I'm tired, so I'm like, one, two. <laughs> I'm like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And so I, I've completely lost track of what my performance is. And when, we, when I come down, you come down past all of the embassies, and there's, it's just lined with people. I high five five thousand people. <laughs> crazy, and I finished the marathon in five hours and nine seconds. Ah. Oh. <laughs> well, that's crazy. Yeah, but this is because I didn't have that transparency. If yeah. I'd have known that I was slowing down, I could have just high fived four thousand people, <laughs> and, and maybe. <laughs> I, I lack that transparency, and this is why transparency is important. When we when we lack transparency, it allows us to pull defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, so, six weeks later, I'd run a marathon in Florida in Fort Lauderdale. I carried two uh, batteries, and I did it in four hours fifty three. But it's Fort Lauderdale, you know. It's nice to say I did it in Athens, you know, in the Olympic. Stadium. Yeah. That's in not some car park 
by the beach. <laughs> yeah, it has the Romans. <laughs> yeah, not the same. So trans that's why transparency is important. We need to attract and monitor our performance so we can keep going on until we hit the target. Yeah. And, car and carry an extra battery. <laughs> <laughs> and carry an extra battery. Yet again, another amazing story. Great chat. Two cats walking around. Amazing wife who loves cooking. And Gordon is just so much, like, he's such a funny guy. And you would never think that he is a systems guy and an IT guy. Well, I could sense that there was some influence uh, from his wife. Because he is such a lovable and so much, like, really fun person. Yeah, and this was about leadership. Yeah. This was about how to, how to inspire your team and really get things moving. So, again, I took a lot of big lessons from this interview. And these are things that every leader, every manager, every director, there's so much to take from this. So I hope that this inspired you as well, listening to this. Um, get in touch with Gordon, gordontreadgold.com. It's also in the show notes. He offers a cool free ebook and also weekly inspiration emails. So that is something I recommend at Gordon Treadgold on social media. He twitters a lot. And of course his book, Fast, it is the manual that gets you 50 to 500% increased performance for your team. It's on Amazon, it's on bold.com. So Fast, F-A-S-T, written by Gordon Treadgold. That was it for today. Of course, this episode was sponsored by Earn More, Work Less. We give superpowers to team leaders. So for your inspiration, earnmoreworkless.com. That's it for now. We wish you a fun and successful day. Let's all go out, inspire our teams, and have a great and productive time. <laughs> <laughs>